It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm your host. In this week's episode, we're heading down to Dorset in the ever amiable company of podcast regular Kevin Parr. An angler and a nature writer, Kev takes us for a walk up onto Egerton Hill to explore its wildlife and its very mysterious hill fort. And on the way, he meets a local farmer with some stark insights into life in the modern countryside. It's a beautiful, very thought-provoking adventure. And don't forget to leave likes and feedback on whichever podcast provider you use. And you can always email me, editor at countryfile.com. Well, Dorset probably isn't the most obvious county to be considered wild. The coastline can be quite spectacular, certainly. Purbeck's got a lovely identity of its own. North of the wide river valleys, some scrub. But by and large, the heathland and woodland of South side as well, perhaps. It's not really wild. But in West Dorset, where I live, there's a certain ruggedness. And one place I think typifies that better than anywhere else. So I've come to Egerton Hill, which is just a couple of miles from home, if that. It's a bank holiday weekend, but one of the main reasons I've come today is because it's it's quite still, although there'll still be wind, you'll hear the wind buffeting the microphone, and that's because it's always windy on Egerton. It's so exposed, and the coast is only three miles or so away. So even when at home, it's you could drop a feather and it'd fall flat, or skylarks just going up beside me. Two skylarks. On Egerton, there'll be a breeze that will uh, pick up. If it's breezy at home, it'll be thumping up here. 
and what makes Egerton wild? It's uh, the shape of it. It's chalk hump. It's shaped like an anvil. It's about 820 feet. I think it's about as high as it gets. But uh, the main body of the hill juts into the landscape bit like the bow of a ship. And part of the reason it's still wild is because it's been managed for 5,000 years to some extent. It's one of the money hills in Dorset that's, and the country that's topped with a fort, a hill fort. It's Neolithic. It probably dates back to early Bronze Age. But it's the most perfect place to, for a fort. I'm approaching from the eastern side, which is the only, only side that would need sort of considerable physical protection because the natural protection around the other edges, steep inclines, dropping, you know, 100 maybe even 200 feet. They should be fairly easy to defend should the need arise. And it's a rather special place. I've just stepped up onto the uh, top of the the fort itself, the main plateau. I'm at the eastern end, so I've just come through the gate, uh, up and down the... There's a raven coming over. Up and down the eastern ramparts and, and just onto the top, just to see what's about some of the cattle that graze here are munching away. I'm going to talk more about them later though, all being well. But they're um, conservation grazers, effectively. This side of, the, there's a fence down through the middle of the fort and uh, the land to the south is owned by the National Trust. And the grassland, which is unimproved, is grazed to encourage flower growth. And it can be spectacular at the moment. Up here, there's not a lot other than dandelions. First few cowslips are, are popping through. Elsewhere, there's just lovely carpets of celandines, so, which are my favorite. So it's a nice little patch of cowslips to my left. And this plateau, it's, there's little dips, as obviously you can tell a lot of earthworkings have been going on. Little holes, which could be food holes, I understand, or wells, but um, it, it just looks, <laughs> apart from the wind, um, it looks a, a place you can imagine a settlement, whether people lived here all year round, uh, probably did for certain periods. and then probably used it 
in different ways at different times until the Romans came. And it was active for a lot longer before the Roman occupation than has, time has passed since. So it will have been a gradual process of excavation. Interment, there's tumuli which are just the bulk which are a little bit further away from the main body which um, makes some sense if you're burying your dead there because um, it, the land can be left alone and sort of hygienically and um, aesthetically certainly without any waft <laughs> sounds a bit grotesque but that certainly makes sense. It's hoping for a wheat here or two, but I think there's too many people. It's a really good spot for wheat here. They start dropping in from March onwards. I think they must ponder. One or two must really like the look of it because it's it's. It, it resembles an upland habitat that they're probably going to head further north to to then breed within. And I'm sure if if there weren't just the trickle of people, it's never crazy, but I'm sure they might hang around and try, and they probably have in the past. And you can see wheat here at all points of the year. Like an early start might have might have brought some joy. I've seen, uh, you can hear the skylarks here, quite happy. I've seen plenty of migrants dropping in, even ring ousel, and a small flock of wimbrel once, which took me by surprise. I think there were five beaking around in the grass but I think the wild flowers are, and the butterflies a little bit later in the, in the year they're probably the, the greatest wildlife spectacle but the outlook is the most extraordinary thing in the middle of the fort is an octagonal form and I, I noticed when I first came up here, I noticed the, the ditches and the little ridges, and I didn't realise that actually it formed an octagon even. Um, and that's certainly the most recent bit of earthworking that, that appeared in the 18th century and was the work, apparently, of Isaac Gulliver, who was a smuggler of great renown. I think he was known as the gentle smuggler because he supposedly never killed a man. I think he ran 15 boats and controlled <laughs> smuggling routes from Lymington down to Tor Bay. So he was a very wealthy man and money can certainly enable power. But if you're um, existing in that sort of world, I'm sure you would have had to have had a little bit of muscle. But he built this octagonal form to plant trees in to use as a signal 
because if you look to the south, you can see quite a good swathe of, of the sea. And as I look now, I can see it's, it's a bit hazy. I can see Golden Cap and I can just make out Charmouth, I think, beyond. But on a clear day, you can see right the way down to Start Point, which is South Devon. And it would be a good spot because looking inland, and I have looked inland, and everything sort of melds into one. You'd think it'd be a very obvious landmark, but it's quite difficult to pick out without something obvious and a, and a sort of a very purposeful built plot of trees is, would, would definitely stand out. And uh, Isaac owned a local farmhouse and apparently used the buildings down at the Spyway Inn, which is at Ask as well, just uh, a mile or two to the south. Oh, Skylark's lovely. He used those buildings to store his um, spirits and tea. There's some great stories about him. He was caught up with once. Taxman came banging on the door and apparently he whitened his face, climbed into a coffin and laid still while his wife feigned, <laughs> feigned grief at her, her husband's sudden passing. And he got away with it. He was eventually pardoned and then became a legitimate trader. Became very wealthy. Yeah, he left um, a large estate and lots of property. And he also, yes, he, he, um, <laughs> he apparently f set up a a fake assassination attempt in order to rescue the king <laughs> so to save him to gain his his favour whether that's true I don't know but I shall jump I shall step down off the main lump because otherwise I'm not going to talk I've been sitting here holding holding my jacket up <laughs> as a windshield Hopefully it's worked. Hopefully it hasn't blocked out the Skylark because that is a rather nice soundtrack. Yeah, below me there's a lovely area of um, mixed woodland and um, marshland, a bit of scrub, some Lots of hawthorn, blackthorn. And there's a lot of bird song coming from it. Song thrush, chiff chaff, black cap. But it's on the wind and I don't think I'll be able to record it without a great buffet of wind. I'm down, oh hello, what's that? Let's put my binoculars down. Okay, what have we here?
Hornchaser buzzard. How funny. There's a... I could see something moving on the far sort of slope. It looked like it was almost tumbling down the hill and I think it was a buzzard running down the hill. It's a very sleep, steep slope. Obviously chasing something. And using its wings to steady itself. Probably a beetle or maybe a lizard. There's a few lizards up here. far end, I'm at the sort of bow of the of the fort itself, the fortifications where it drops away there's another finger of a wedge that strikes out again into the west at the end of which is um, just near to where that buzzard was it's a lovely seam of granite I presume it's granite And below that, which I, is just slightly obscured, is the bell stone, which is a sarsen stone, of which there is local legend. That Martin Maudsley, who listeners to the podcast will probably be familiar with, he's, um, there's a good story online he's written, it's worth looking up, about the bell stone at Egerton. And it's interesting here, you get a really good sense of the melting pot of geology. Because Egerton's sitting on chalk, this is a, I'm sitting on classic chalk downland with grasses. There's one or two rogue bluebells I could see down on this slope, but, um, And yet the fields, it feels like a stone throw, it's, it's a little bit more, they take quite a throw. But um, there's this rich red of clay, green sand. And then you've got golden cap shining. It's an amazing mixture of, of different substrates that the coast is world renowned for fossils. Lovely day, wispy cloud. This breeze is incredible though, it's so stiff here. I think I'll walk back along the northern side, it should be quite a bit quieter. Before then, I'm going to drop down to the field in front of me where a lot of the other cattle are gathered just to have a closer look at them because they do such important work up here. I'd say this was serendipitous but it's planned of course but um, just as I've come to have a closer look at the highlands. I'm good, how are you? No problem at Okay, of course. Is there one? Is there supposed to be one in that field? No. 
<laughs> Cameron has arrived to cool them in. And the cattle are coming in for some dinner. Um, <laughs> and they've just had, well, I've just been fed some rather interesting smelling oats, you say? Yeah, it's from the local brewery, Copperhead Brewery in Dorchester. Um, we get bags from those guys once a week, about eight or nine bags, and we give them a couple of bags a day. And it's, uh, it's brewery oats we're giving them. So and, it, and that would basically be chucked otherwise, I guess? Uh, yeah, so we're recycling it. Perfect. It's been recycling to these guys, and they just love it. And a bit of hay as well, They've all cut, they're all tucking in nice. Yeah, they come down, they get a bit of haylage, they get their brewer's oats, um, which they thoroughly enjoy, as you can see over there, tucking into it. And they give it to you the little jab here and there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> getting to, you know, just saying hello. Um, but yeah, we, we're up here at the moment twice a day because we're, you know, we're calving, as you can see, we've yeah. some calves kicking about. There's one here that's five days old, you said, which... Yeah, um, and that, her name's Bonnie. So oh, we've fun. got Bonnie over there, who's with Isla. And then we've got Ruby's calf, which is Clyde. So we've got Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and just to introduce you, this is Cameron and Charlotte. He's yep, uh, I'm Cameron Farterson, and this is my daughter. Charlotte. And uh, how long have you been up here with the, with the animals? Well, we've had Edgar and Hill 15 years. Really? Yep, we've been on now 15 years. 2007, we took Edgar and Hill on, um, and here we're still here. Fantastic. Yeah, rain, snow, wind. Still yeah, here. and this is it. I mean, I've had a walk today. I've waited till it's quite quiet, um, wind-wise, because recordings, even this breeze is going to buff it a bit. But um, mm. uh, you must see it then in every condition. So it's it's rare to have a day like this where the sun's shining. And it's, little breeze. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it's always windy on Egerton. It's always windy. Even you have the hottest day out in the middle of August, you'll still have a a breeze like today really yeah but it's it's gorgeous up here we love it it reminds me of home yeah of course because people listening will probably realize your accent's not local no no, no it's not with a cider either it's um, <laughs> I'm, I'm from the scottish borders oh here comes georgie um yeah i'm from the scottish borders uh just outside melrose is where i come from Fantastic. so i um, been in england for 27 years so i've lived longer in england than i have out in in scotland but you kept your accent which is the main thing yeah, somebody told me it sounded a bit watered down yesterday. Oh, really? She, <laughs> she went, are you really a Scots? One of them? Yeah, definitely. That was from someone from Scotland. That was somebody from Scotland who came down to do um, a calendar, photograph calendar for kidney research. So it's a charity, so we're helping them. Brilliant. And you've, how many highlands have you got? We've got 30 in total up here. Including the two in, new ones? Including, uh, what's 32? Including the okay. two new ones. And... Um, Obviously, we've got one in the field across there. Yeah. He's doing a little bit of free grazing. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a boy or a girl over there? That's Callig. So, um, she's a two and a half year old heifer. Right. Okay. And she's named Callig. It means it's Gaelic for young young girl in Scots. Oh, nice. So That's really nice. And obviously, a weekend like this, and this is the Easter weekend, um, there's a slight concern uh, with visitors to the hill um, and dog walkers to the hill yep. there's lots of signs up which are here for a rather sad reason and but also hopefully a positive outcome but you lost was it last year last end of last may um it was your coat wasn't it was yeah, it gladys yeah 
And, and you know what happened? Well, I mean... Uh, we had two Labradors that were said to be chased her down the edge of that hill there, heavily pregnant, just went to give birth that weekend, so it's quite distressing, really. Yeah. It's desperately sad. I mean, and just so unnecessary and that's been the frustration and I think did you say you've lost sheep as well yeah so um, we we tend we bring our, our flock up here so we've got about 400 breed ewes yeah. and we bring them up for the winter months we call we bring them back home and we lose uh, I don't know 12 13 sheep a year we know we're going to really? lose that because of dog dogs and the problem is it's not always the bite what kills them is actually Two days after the stress yeah. is actually one of the main killers of dog worrying. And then just in January, we actually pulled our sheep off a lot earlier this year. Because one weekend we lost, was it 13, wasn't it? We lost 13 sheep one weekend back in January. And enough was enough. And actually, Tilly, Tilly there. Yep. She aborted. Um, again, we were told there was dogs chasing her. And actually we came down and we were feeding the cows and she was actually away from us. We thought, well, we know something wrong here. And all the way I can describe it was like having a piglet next to her. And of course, she had bought a calf, which oh. was maybe four or five months old inside. So she was due to calve May. Um, yeah, so we just we took the decision and brought them off. Yeah. Bring them back to our other farm. And obviously, rather than... I, mean, I think the shock, the stress aspect is something that a lot of people just won't appreciate that even if your dog's you think your dog is quite it's just friendly and it's bouncing around and don't realize the impact that it's actually having on the animals it's not just that physical injury no, or it, it, attack exactly it's the stress on the animal but actually do you know a lot of things a lot of the stress on the farmer or yeah, livestock yeah. holder it's the mental part of it completely um i can say i went to a dark place when we lost gladys you know, for three or four days, I think we did as a family, didn't we? It was, yeah. yeah, it was it was a hard place, and obviously we decided to come out fighting and do something about it. But not every farmer does that, and no. some folk tend to use the gun or a, or a noose. Yeah, which is which is again within their rights, and I think that's another thing that people don't realise that if you if you've got a dog that's worrying livestock, the farmer's with it, completely within his rights to shoot it. Yeah. Even though the farmer, which I think is completely wrong, that we need to prove why we're shooting that dog. Right. So you need... Oh, it needs yeah. 100% evidence down to DNA, basically, or a witness. Right. Um, so when you pull that trigger on a dog, um, you need to be 100% sure that dog's on... You basically need that dog on top of the sheep. Yes. That's what you're looking at. And, uh, but, and obviously, most farmers, livestock owners, that's an absolute last resort. Yeah. If people showed the same respect to your animals that in turn these people are doing to dogs and, and letting them almost do this, then perhaps well, it might not be quite the problem. But as it is, it's uh, next week we're going, or hopefully a bill's being... Yeah, next week on the 20th, which is the Wednesday, I think, is it? Tuesday the Wednesday. It's going back into the Parliament to have its last reading in there. And then we're off to the House of Lords, all being well. So yeah. nothing in the bill could be changed, um, which is fantastic. And I'm kind of hoping we're kind of going to match up with Scotland. So they've got like £10,000 or six months imprisonment. In England, Wales, Northern Ireland, it's £1,000, which is still a lot of money, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But actually £10,000 is a lot of money. 
and I know I couldn't afford to pay that shit. No, away. no, I certainly couldn't. And I don't really fancy six months at Her Majesty's pleasure. No. So um, hopefully it'll put folk, make them think just a little bit and put dogs on leads. How I always say and how I always tell people, how it looking like this, Edgarton Hill is beautiful up here and we want folk to come out, enjoy it, love it, bring their dogs out, but just have them under control. It'd be like me going to your back garden and you've got a nice little rabbit out and my dog jumping into the back garden and killing your rabbit. Mm. It's no different. I've just that's got cows and sheep. This is an extension to my back garden. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. And the campaign you've been yeah, running and, and which, you know, as you say, you've done something about it. You've channeled that sort of upset and sadness into something hopefully positive. It's called Gladys's Law. Yes. That, um, and people can find that on Facebook. It's on Facebook, on the internet, you know, come and support us. Yeah. You know, let's get this bill put through. Exactly. And that's what we're after. And we're not saying to people, don't come out to the countryside, far from it. We need people to come out. You know, I'm a countryman. We've got little businesses who need that support from the guys in the yeah. cities and towns. We need support, but just respect yeah. is what we're asking for. But come out and enjoy it. It's here to be enjoyed. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's perfect sentiment. And finishing on a sort of positive note, we've got, this is Bonnie. That's Bonnie. Who's come over. This is the five-year-old calf. And, oh, you know, I shouldn't... Um, sh- well, I can't use the word cute. She is ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculously cute. It's very cute. And then you've got Clyde across there. Who's yeah. having another good look at us. And what, what sort of age do the Highlands... Okay, so... so they, well, you can carve them in 16-stroke 17-year-old. Wow. So they'll live to 20 quite happily. Um, they're a small little native animal. They're not heavy, as you can see. They're not big beasts. No. You know, they're light. They're great for what we're doing, conservation grazing, you know, for the wildflowers, for the nesting birds, the vertebrates, insects, all that kind of stuff. These guys are just perfect because they go along, they, they forage on the, the grasses and the flowers, and then they drop it out on the other end, and then... In a year or so's time, you got another patch of wild flowers, and yeah. And in, in a couple of weeks' time, this will just be a show of different colours: pinks, purples, blues, yeah. which is fantastic. It is. I and mean, yeah, the yellows are going, but I came up. I think it was July last year, and I've I've never seen it. Yeah, it was looking uh, like it. it was unbelievable. Yeah, and that's down to what you're seeing with these guys. Um, obviously, we pull them off down the hill. Come May time, we bring them back down to the field and we get the wildflowers going and hopefully they, they can go to seed, yeah. drop the seed out and these come along, chewing it and then drop it out on the other end and hopefully get another patch of wildflowers. But it's down to these guys, you get Edgar and looking how it is. And uh, is that it? Again, people just wouldn't realise that and it's another reason why it's so important that they stay here and stay grazing. And stay grazing, yeah, and, lo- and look after the countryside and that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's perfect... Uh conservation in action isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it's your it's your recyclers I mean they, they recycle they take up the old grass yeah eat it drop it out and the waste from the um, brewery as well yeah. I mean it's perfect it's perfect do you get to pick up other bits and pieces while you're there yeah funny enough yeah I have a little sample <laughs> now and again <laughs> <laughs> brilliant I'm going to wander on but thank you so no, much you're welcome you crack on and uh, you know, lovely to meet you both again and um, yeah Good luck with the rest of the course. Thank you very much. Take and, care. Yeah, and Have you. a great Easter. I've left Karen, Charlotte and their fantastic highlands. Climbed over the top of the 
fall, which was fairly exhausting, which be why I'm slightly short of breath. And uh, come to the, the single track lane that runs along the northern edge. Just about to go out of sight of Lewisden Hill and Pilston Pen further west, which is the highest and second highest points of Dorset. And the wind's done a, it's shifted, it's shifted round <laughs> to the southwest. So having thought I'd be sheltered, it's actually buffeting me here too. The views that people come to see from here are largely centered on the sort of southern and western edges of the hill because of the sea I suppose and the lovely juts of Thorncombe Beacon and, and Golden Cap and Langdon Hill. You can see the roll round, you can make out a bit of Bridport and the patchwork of fields and then of course to the west you've got the hills of the big peaks. I really like this northern view because the slope here it drops sharply down and then you've got a lovely thick area of woodland that's much of its power stock common or part of power stock common nature reserve. And just at the moment, the trees are just starting to come into leaf. And it, but just patches of them. There's lots of bare sort of treetops. And it looks like moss on a, a much smaller surface. If I look just at the at the trees, it's almost as if I could reach down and touch it, brush it like moss, because those tops are just green, really bright green, like the flowering heads of mosses. But I do love to see just this sort of roll of landscape. It's rough grass and there is a farm, lovely farmhouse down the middle. And then reaching up to Rampersham Down, where there's just a, two remaining masts from 30 odd that used to be here, and where the World Service used to be transmitted from. I believe it was a listening post as well, but uh, decommissioned some time ago. But this way back, I, I just, I really enjoy it. It's a fantastic road to happen upon, especially from the west. You come from the village of Powerstock and wind your way along and you end up at the foot of Egerton, which you climb and then it gets steeper and steeper and suddenly you're on this ridged, the road's actually on a rampart, the bottom rampart. So it's quite precarious, <laughs> and it's very narrow. You certainly wouldn't want to lose control. 
but equally it's awe-inspiring and just stunning for the world to open up like it does. But I still haven't seen a wheat here and I don't think I'm going to. And uh, it's just been lovely. And the skylarks have sung all the way around. I'll continue back, heading for home now. I have a wheat here. I'm <laughs> almost, I'm within probably 80 yards of the eastern end of the fort. And I could see a couple of meadow pipits up on the ridge to my right. Not far from where that screaming child is. And then I just, I was just looking at them through the binoculars and up popped a wheat here, a male which has made me very happy. They're such stunning birds. They're quite big in, in terms of sort of passerine species. They're like, you know, nothing, nowhere near the size of a song thrush, but, but definitely bigger than the, the pipits. More of a, almost skylark size. Oh, there they come, is that two? There's a male and a female. The male is, um, they both look stunning in spring, but the male in particular with his sort of grey back, a really a lovely dusty grey, sort of pinkish chest, and a lovely black stripe down the side on the wing but this um, stunning black mask like a bandit's mask and when he flies I thought that one was going to fly for a second when he flies and when she flies a, a fantastic white rump that's so distinctive just walk their way over the top of the ridge now out of my sight probably wary it's a linnet probably wary if um of the young people that are careering round but that's that's made my morning bubble past and perhaps that's a good point to actually sign off before I get back to the car and back to the reality of bank holiday which generally means in these parts hiding 
but it's uh, it's no bad thing to share a place like this. I don't begrudge people. In fact, I love seeing people up here because you get so many thousands heading to the coast. But if you're in West Dorset, have a look inland. Have a little stroll on Egerton Hill. It's a really, really special place. And perhaps you'll see me poking around. Goodbye for now. Well, firstly, how wonderful to hear those skylarks. We're in the middle of winter, just on the cusp of December. There's so little birdsong out there. So thank you, Kev, for bringing skylarks into our lives in this dark time. But thank you. We've, we'll talk about bringing in. We're bringing Kev into the podcast studio. Kev, hello. Hello. What a treat. Hi. Joining thank me and Jack. I know. How are you both? And not Hannah. Who's... Not Hannah, sadly. No, Hannah still has COVID. And Hannah, if you're listening, um, get well soon. Yeah, get we miss well you. soon. Bless you, we... little sausage. Well, Kev, thank you for joining us. There's lots to talk about. Gosh, yeah, meeting Cameron the farmer has provided a few... Interesting yeah. talking points about access and particularly the dogs issue. But, Very um, much. But also lovely. We had that. We had the lovely walk over Eg- Egerton Hill. Egerton which, Hill. Now, is there a does the Hardy connection? Is that that's? that's um, I think that he called it Haggerton Hill. Haggerton. Okay. Um, but he, I think, because he called the Great Heath um, Egerton Heath. Egerton Heath. So was that so, related yeah. to Egerton as well? No, there's must, no, no connection as far as I know. Mm. Um, and he sort of some of the parts, some of the places locally. He called our little valley um, the Valley of the Three Little Dairies, or, but then I found out he's called loads of valleys that, so or oh. very similar things. So I think people claim things, and um, there might not be complete truth to them. But but he called it Haggerton. Haggerton, okay. In which do you remember? So Thomas Hardy, for those who don't know, Th- Thomas Hardy, a great. 18th century novelist no sorry 19th century novelist of yes. the countryside with rural people always rather depressing stories oh god I, I mean really brutal some of them are just tragic yeah. aren't they uh, and, and your part of the world is very much hardy country yes yeah in fact his cottage where he he grew up is only probably about 15 miles so we're not we're not too far from from where he grew up and wrote a lot of his books I don't know, he wrote sort of Sodermit St. Newton, which is sort of um, 20 miles to the north of us. He wrote one of his books there, so he's, okay, he's spread so. himself about a bit. Yeah, And there's, the and there's a pub at the Acorn Inn at Evershaw, which is even closer, where he apparently spent time. I feel I feel we should do a Hardy podcast in that pub, Kev. I, do you know, that would be a fantastic idea. I've booked you in next year. <laughs> and they've got a skittle alley. We could, we could have... Um, we could have like a friendly game of inter inter county podcast skittles. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've got some skittle skills for our American listeners. This is bowls, but in a sort of weird back bowling pub, ben, but, 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 but but in a pub back room with yeah. with with uh, limited kind of bit, bits of. You have to go and pick the skittles up yourself. You do, <laughs> you do, and and the skittles have been knocked over so many times. They're they're wooden and they're sort of flat on each end, and the ball is. Um, it's just a solid wooden ball, but it's really heavy, like mahogany yeah. or something. I don't, or probably not mahogany, but something. Yeah. And, and, and the annoying thing is that there's gaps. The gaps between the pins um, or the skittles are wide enough for the ball to go through and 
you not actually knock anything over. <laughs> so you don't get a reward for a good <laughs> no. shot. Have you played Skittles, Jack? I have, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I, good. I do like the technology of being able to deliver the ball back by just normally putting it in a shoot that's sort of built yeah. into this bit yeah. on the wall that just returns the ball back to the start again. Nice. It's clever, just a long shoot that's just that starts off at a certain height and then trundles down. I used to, when I, where I grew up, we lived next door to a pub, a Skittle alley. And that sound used to soothe me going to sleep. The sound of the <laughs> trundling skittles against the wall. It's quite nice. That was like pretty it. good, Jack. Oh, thank that's, you. That's definitely the sound. Good. Well, I'm yeah. glad we. Well, we've got our home champion here, Jack, to take on the Dorset strongman Kev. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, it could be Battle of the, the Bristol Bowler. That's what they, uh, <laughs> they call me the Bristol Bowler. Um, it's the Dorset Dazzler. The da- <laughs> But we've got loads to talk about, and we've, yeah. we've had a massive diversion into the world of Skittles. We will return <laughs> to that. Um, that. But a serious issue, the the access issue, because that's yeah. National Trust land, but Cameron the farmer, obviously... And the big issue has been, is dogs off leads, basically, near near livestock. And in England in particular, the legislation's not been particularly tight. And I think people just are unaware you know they're always sort of thinking well my dog wouldn't do anything um but as as he was saying in as we were chatting one of the biggest killers isn't the injuries it's shock yeah sheep die at the drop of a hat anyway yeah. so anything that sort of scares them is uh, it, it can it's a delayed thing yeah yeah a dog bouncing around nearby and just frightening them that can that can kill them a couple of days later so he's just been campaigning for for stricter rules or stricter punishments on people who are letting dogs off leads and worrying animals in, in you know, certainly in places. I mean, on private land, it shouldn't happen, but in areas like Egerton Hill, which is public access. So. Well, it's absolutely necessary. I have a dog. I always keep it on a lead around livestock, yeah. and I check and check and check before I ever let him off, and I have to be 110% sure that there's no danger. Biggest issue. I mean, there's also issues of disturbing wildlife and ground nesting birds. And we yeah, heard yeah, the skylarks there, and 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 disturbing snakes and uh, adders and all sorts. Frustrating, but we need the mental health and physical health benefits of being able to access more of the countryside. And people letting their dogs off leads to chase livestock just gives ammunition to those who would like to close off the countryside to the general public absolutely yeah that's mm. definitely true and it and it only takes fear and i think one point actually that i that's just cropped up um that should be considered when you're near cattle with a dog and and this is it's going to contradict everything but but there are every now and again there are horrible instances where people are trampled and it's normally where they have a dog the cattle come towards the dog and the person and the dog barks, the cattle panic, and then a horrible accident occurs. So either keep your dog on a lead, but if you've got cattle approaching you and getting frisky, just let go of the dog because it's the dog that they're going to be interested in. And, the and dog that's will, from dog find its way. Yeah. yeah, it will go, and the cattle will follow that. But don't risk getting trampled. But equally, yeah, I mean, if you're in the countryside, I mean, and for the most part, for the majority of the time, you're not going to go near the animals. But if a dog's free running, then it's going to run over and and have a look, have a sniff, and um, and they will. They see a, a cattle see dogs as wolves. They just want to protect. They particularly if they've got young. I mean, goodness me, it's yeah. just common sense. But there seems to be a huge lack of that. I think I think that's what it is. It's just 
being aware of what's around you before you just let them off the leash. I think it's the same with there's humans that don't particularly like dogs. And I think yes. a lot of the time you get a dog run up to you and I, I hate it. I hate the sort of phrase of, oh, he's lovely, he won't do anything. Or, oh, she's lovely, she won't, yeah. she won't hurt you. And I'm like, I don't, that's not my concern here. I just don't want this dog by me. I think that I, I've, I've chosen not to, to ch- interact with your dog. I don't want it to run on me. And I think some people that are nervous about dogs, even if it's the most loveliest dog ever, as soon as you've got one running at you, you immediately go into sort of panic mode. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think then, again, it's that same thing of you've got a load of people then that don't like people when they've got their dogs off their lead. And so yes. if you're trying to fight for more access to more spaces, it's it's that same case again that, that those are people that maybe won't be as for it because it will lead to people having their dog off their lead more. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, and and certainly in a lot of, you know, people all have phobias that are often born from when they're little and an interaction that, with a dog that's terrifying and mm. that stays. And then, of course, a dog will pick up on, you know, someone's fear and then it will be curious or more curious or and yeah it's not it's no fun for the person at all no. and it's not really fair on the dog either so please if you if you if you know dog owners uh who who do do that just have a quiet word in their ear <laughs> yes and we all to happier things happy things the last time we saw you kev was um we were fishing on the canal we had yeah September. It, it, one of the best days fishing of the season i think it was, so it was, it was just lovely me. it was lovely for the three of us um kind of real insight into the joys of the, the joys of just being out by the by the canal bank yeah being in the moment it was good wasn't it mm. i shouldn't i won't spoil it but but quite how i don't know how still don't know how jack landed that first fish well, Amazing. Yeah. yeah it was the, the great the great well you can hear all about it on a podcast that's coming after christmas in the new year uh, uh part of our mindful season of adventures in nature kev have you been out on any adventures lately I have been, um, we're having lots of things done in the house, so it's all a bit chaotic. So I've not been out as much as I would like, but I just, yesterday I had the nicest walk. Um, It's been a very mild autumn. And finally, we've just sort of got a bit of cold, cold weather. And yesterday was foggy and dank. And um, and I I went up to the top of Egerton and... um, and but where which was in the sunlight, it was just stunning. Where you're you're up and above the cloud level almost, and then looking across the expanse and all the hills just were like islands in that. Oh my goodness! I know exactly what you mean. That's yeah, brilliant. It That's just brilliant. looks stunning, and I knew where I wanted to walk, um, which are these meadows. Um, it's a nature reserve again, actually, Kinkham Meadows. And at this time of year, there's one tree in particular that just looks amazing in the sort of ethereal mist. So I walked around and the light and everything was just unbelievable. Heaven, and, heaven, I can picture it. Yeah, and I didn't need to, you know, I didn't see much. There were a few field fair chacking away um, and bullfinches piping, but there wasn't a lot going on because it was just so quiet and and um, not eerie, but just, yeah, incredibly evocative. I really, I, you know, one of those walks that you sort of gets deep in your psyche almost. Oh gosh, that sounds like a good a good good one for the for 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 all sorts of health and mental health and that sort of thing. Just get it out. Lovely. The, yeah. Well, I'm rather envious. I was out in the fog last night, uh, 
but it, it was not. I mean, that's why I'm a bit croaky actually today. So I was, uh, I went up into the Mendips in the evening to meet Amy Jeffs, who's a historian who's just written a book about, uh, well, the wild in medieval times and how it's perceived in, by medieval oh, people. Really brilliant. interesting, based on all these old texts. We were going caving. But my goodness, I got lost in the fog on the Mendips, and then finally we all met up and went down into this cavern um, deep in the Mendips late at night wow. where we talked and she sang. And it was a struggle for someone who doesn't like going underground <laughs> in yeah. tight places. But uh, yeah, rather magical. But very different to your experience of being out in the light and seeing it was definitely dark and like, yeah, like I can feel how croaky I'm getting with the yeah, dark and damp. There were lesser horseshoe bats all roosting all around us. It was, oh, it was wow. incredible, the stalactites and things. So another one to listen out for next year. But um, yeah, so I apologize. That's the reason I'm a little bit croakier than, than normal. In fact, it's going. Jack, you're going to have to take over. Oh, dear. <coughs> I knew you shouldn't. You yeah. overdid it on the karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right, yes. Yeah. And there was a point in the evening where I... The, the road, it was so foggy, I could barely see ahead, but there were some lights through the fog. It was this lovely, charming pub in the Mendips oh. called the Ring of Bells. And I just pulled into the car park there and had a breather and had a sort of, I say breather. That's the name of the, name of the beer, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, zero alcohol pint, but uh, it was very welcome. So before my voice goes, I'm going to, I've got this, I've, well, we delved, Jack's kindly delved into the podcast post back. We've got a letter here. In fact, do you want to read it, Jack? I, I, I can read it. Would you mind reading it? Just it's going to need some strong vocal skills, I think, in this one. Yeah. Uh, it says, Hello, Fergus. I really enjoyed the recent episode of the podcast, especially your discussion around animal noises in different languages. Um, I think this is where we, we spoke about birds being named after their call, uh, and we spoke about other animals. Curlew. Curlew. They've put, here are a couple of pages from my uh, three-and-a-half-year-old daughter's favourite book, which is Welcome to Our World, all about animal noises. Her favourites are bees in Greece, zoom, zoom, and frogs in Thailand, op, op. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to you and the team for spiriting me away outside whilst I'm up at 2am with our baby boy. Uh, best wishes, Ellie in Sheffield. Oh, that's cool. Ellie, really if, nice. you're, yeah, if you're listening to this at 2am, uh, thank you. That was brilliant. Um, You've sent us pages from the book, which, uh, which are quite entertaining. Uh, dogs uh, in Tunisia go, Ahab, <laughs> Ham Ham <laughs> in Albania, Hev Hev in Turkey, and Guk Guk in Indonesia. You've so, got to give it a bit of effort, though. This really? Is... Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Ham Ham. Oh. <laughs> nice. Okay. Hev Hev. Ahab. Guk Guk in Indonesia. <laughs> so uh, we, what else have we got? We've got cows. Go boo in the Czech Republic. You can do the Finnish one. Amu. Amu. That's good. Hamba. Hamba. Yeah. Oh, you've got it. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I've got an and umbu in Mongolia. Mongolia. Brilliant. Should we do uh should we do one more? Uh this is this is a great book. I think we can recommend this. It's book really for... nice. Do, do frogs? Frogs would be good, yeah. Um in, in the UK, ribbit. Ribbit. Um in Poland, gum. Come, <laughs> not so. in Hungary, brekeke, brekek, and in Thailand, op op. Was that op, what? Op. Yeah, that's the one. well, that's cool. That's there's lots of different species going on here. But uh, I mean, I'm, I love this book. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. brilliant. brilliant. I mean, it's I, really I, nice. I did yeah. when I saw this letter. 
uh, it's, I'll be honest, it's an email letter uh, that came through. The, even the subject line of Mac, Mac, Bun, Bun, that really uh, <laughs> entices you in. <laughs> <laughs> so to hear more animal noises, that book is called Welcome to Our World. Ellie, you deservedly won our podcast missive of the week, our letter of the week. I've got a couple of books for you here. It's not just one book this week. From the podcast library, we have A Dog's Life, A Celebration of Our Best Friend by Hannah Dale, and Adventures of the Yorkshire Shepherdess by Amanda Owen. Both cracking books, and we'll send them down to you. Thank you very much. And for your chance to win a lovely book from the podcast library, send us an email, a tweet, or a Facebook message about the podcast something nice and hopefully if we like it it'll be podcast message of the week kev back to the birds any any you can uh, you can offer to add to our collection of of birds or other animals named after their calls i think an important one to mention is the hoopoe which ah. um it's is hippo <laughs> <laughs> it's the hoopoe i think some people say hoopoo but, yeah, but, I think I um, do, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's spelled P-O-E. That, well, we um, need to we, listen to its call if this is named after its call. The definitely, we could probably... And, but the best thing about the Hupo is that its Latin name, both parts of its Latin name, are also named after its call. It's Upupa Epops. <laughs> We're going to have to call Hupo. up a Hupo. I don't have a Hupo call to hand, but I'm going to find one for next week's episode. And so listen in to find out. And that's it for this week. Join us next week for another adventure as we get closer to Christmas. But from us here in the studio, thank you, Kev. There in Dorset, it's goodbye for now. Or good morning, Ellie.